Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today, we got a Q&A. As always, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. If you haven't left us a rating and review, please do so now if you actually like the show, of course. But if you're here listening, I got to imagine that you do. If you're brand new to it and you don't know yet, I'm excited for you to find out that you love us, you love the content, and you love the podcast you're about to listen to. Uh, quick announcement uh, about an upcoming event that is coming up very soon, September 15th and 16th, with myself and Brad Jensen, one of my good friends, the sober bodybuilder on Instagram, uh, another fellow nutrition coach, uh, owner of a co- nutrition coaching company, as well as a life coaching experience kind of thing, um, I guess you can call it. Um, it's actually really cool, the Next Level Experience. They're, they're not running another one for a while, but basically takes all the principles of AA and implements it into real mm. life. So there's a lot you can learn from that, even if you don't have a problem with sobriety. But point being is uh, we are officially opening up a live stream, something that we did not want to do. The reason we didn't want to open a live stream to the event was basically because usually people open up the live stream as a way to make more money, and then there's like hundreds of people on a live stream at a mastermind, and... You're just another fly on the wall. We're not going to do that. We didn't want to do that. The whole point was to do a live event in person so it's intimate. However, we've had, I think, three people now had to cancel their flights after they've already purchased their tickets and everything like that. Um, So because of that, we were like, okay, well, we have to live stream some of these people in. We have no choice. We're not going to tell them that they're shit out of luck because they can't find childcare. Sure. Um, But we've had multiple people with situations like that. So we are opening up the live stream. And we're going to open up a limited amount of spots to the live stream. Uh, It will be $500 cheaper. So you can actually save $500. Um, And although I still recommend being here in person. So if you are a coach that is in the Pacific Northwest, especially because that's a quick, easy flight um, or a drive. Uh, But in general, if you are a coach and you want to come out to the Tailored Coaching Method headquarters, hang with us, train with us, potentially get dinner with us if you want to get the VIP spot. So we have a couple of those left. Um, And you actually want to be in the same room as Brad and I and the other people, which I can't recommend enough. I mean, shit, that's the only reason me and Brad are even friends is because we met at an event, which is funny too because we have two people um, helping sponsor the event. Um, One is Cured Nutrition, which is like CBD and everything. Joseph Sheely, who we also met at an event, um, and now we're good friends with. Uh, he's sponsoring the event, so you, everybody who's attending live will be getting some goodies. First form, obviously. Um, also, who I actually met at an event. The first time I met Damien way back was at a seminar. Um, they were sponsoring, and I was just a speaker there, and that's how we first met, and then we kind of stayed in touch over the years until I became part of the team. They're going to be sending some goodies as well, so they're sponsoring the event. Um, but it's just cool because, like, they're one of the reasons why live events are so important is because, A, you meet other people in the industry who you can become friends with, potentially do business with and collab with and do stuff with in the future, like Brad and I. Um, but there's so I, – I can count so many people that I have built relationships with because I went to events. Sure. You know what I mean? So the networking potential is just huge. Um, not to mention for a lot of people who listen to this that are our coaches – There's not that many people you know who are also coaches, who also go through what you go through, who do what you do on a daily basis, who um, are working towards the things you're working towards. So to be able to bounce ideas off and collaborate and chat with people who are like-minded, it's just a a useful thing. Yeah, as a human, it's really important. Um, But on top of that, you can see how we've built relationships that actually allow us to be sponsored by them, literally, from a supplement perspective, CBD perspective, and more. So um, still highly recommend you guys show up 
live if you want to attend. We're going to be going over a lot. The link to the page to sign up for the event is in the description. Um, so is the coupon code to get the live stream. Um, and don't get it twisted. You can't enter the coupon code and then still fly out because we can see <laughs> who enters the coupon code and who doesn't. Um, so the coupon code to get the live stream access is just live stream, one word, all lowercase. Um, it'll knock $500 off that price. You will not be with us in person, but you will get access to all of the footage, all of the event. You will be there live while we record, which is why it's going to be limited because just like the people were in the room, we're going to be asking questions to the people on the live stream and involving you just like we would the people who are going to be here live in the flesh. Um, so if you want to access that, join us. You can find out more about what is going to be covered. Um, but there's also going to be a lot that's going to be covered at the event that isn't in the sales page. And the reason is because I've been communicating with people who are going to be attending and asking what are they going through in their business? What are they struggling with? Where do they need help? Where do they struggle most? What are like the, the bottlenecks or the roadblocks they've faced? What are their aspirations? What do they want to build? What are they, how do they want to scale? What are they charging? What kind of clients do they work with? So that we can literally, no pun intended, tailor the event to them. The whole point of doing an anti-mastermind mastermind was to get a small group of people together and coach them specifically, not a huge room and just give general blanket statements out about shit that you can just Google and get advice from there from, you know, you could read a blog on this. Like we're going to give you real world practical advice and strategies that we've tested, um, things we've also failed with still use and still use too. So, um, really, really important, valuable event. I'm excited about it. Um, it's just going to be a blast. So, um, if you want to get access to that, if you want to show up, hit the link, purchase ticket, you'll get all the information about where to fly into, where to stay, wh what is around here for macro-friendly restaurants, meals, groceries, all that kind of shit. Um, I also will be connecting you to the other attendees so you can network and link up with them before the event. Um, and if you want to do the live stream, same process, just enter the coupon code live stream and it'll knock it down $500. If you guys have any questions whatsoever, you can reach me at Cody at tailoredcoachingmethod.com and I'm happy to chat about the event. Um, all right, without any more bullshit or further ado to answer some questions let's get into it all right we are going to start off the first question from a person sun and sky my lower body is much larger and stronger than my upper body it is also where i have more body fat should i should i go lighter weight higher reps on leg days and focus on should I go lighter weight, higher reps on leg days and focus on building upper body? I'm currently beginning a fat loss phase. Thank you for being so motiva motivational. I learned so much. Um, no, you should go into a calorie deficit. Um, that's really, there's no, there's no evidence to support higher reps, burning more fat or isolating tissue or being like a fat mobilization strategy. Um, it, I don't know what it was. I mean... It, it happened like I think it started in the bodybuilding space because I remember people used to say when they got closer to a show they would start doing higher reps and that would like really like tone the muscle or define the muscle which is just a, a ridiculous term and I mean number one you can't tone a muscle there's even some like um like I, I would call them old heads but like just old school strength coaches right veterans yeah that that talk about um building like a, a denser muscle mm. And you got to do like lower weight, heavier reps to build dense muscle tissue. The problem is you can't really tell somebody do this and you will build denser muscle tissue or more toned muscle tissue. Like 
Muscle tissue is muscle tissue. The problem is, is that there's two types of muscle tissue. Um, most likely, the only reason there's some evidence to support what they're talking about is that um, fast twitch muscle fibers are technically uh, probably more dense. They're harder. They're bigger. They're more explosive. If you do lower rep explosive work, athlete style training, you're probably going to build more fast twitch muscle fibers. Totally. However, uh, you, you also want to build slow twitch fibers and uh, focus on like sarcoplasmic hypertrophy and things like that to expand the size and drive more glycogen and water to a muscle. So you need both. But um, long story short, I think that's kind of all where this started is people started saying, you know, when you get closer to show, show, you do higher reps to burn more calories and to, to tone the muscle, um, to lean the muscle out. And it's just, I mean, it's just old, uh, what is that? Like old school. folklore or whatever they call it. I have no idea. Um, wives tale kind of thing, oh, but yeah. like not a wives tale. Cause it's like from the bros and the gyms. Um, but essentially, yeah, that's there's no there's no evidence to support that. If anything, to be honest with you, I think the opposite. Like, I mean, you, you could answer this. If you did a set of trap bar deadlifts um, for ten reps versus a trap bar deadlift for twelve, one rep, two reps, three reps maybe, three reps at most. What what do you feel like takes more energy? Well, like, what's the more draining thing? What's the harder thing? Ten reps. Really? I mean, depending on the volume, right, or the weight. Trying to go one rep with five hundred pounds or ten reps with three. Well, if you if the weight is equal, oh. of course ten. Yeah. You know because whatever you, your max is at three, I didn't phrase that right. Yeah. So working to your your maximum for three typically is going to be harder and more draining for people, right? Gotcha. Um, the process of it. Yeah, I mean, one you got to build up to it. Yeah. Right. And number two, it just it takes everything you got. Ten reps really doesn't. Twenty reps we can maybe argue because that's really pushing it, but that can also be not very safe with the deadlift. So don't do it with that. But Point being is like I don't. There's no reason to believe that it's more draining from an energy perspective, which would mean more calories burned from doing a ten rep set versus a three rep set. If anything, a three rep set actually probably is harder and probably takes more energy. Um, the only argument you can make is there's maybe more muscle damage with a ten rep. But typically, when people are talking about higher reps, they're like going, "Oh, should I do like fifteen to twenty reps because my heart rate gets up?" No, that's not. I mean, now you're just building less muscle tissue because the the volume is lower technically because even though your reps are higher, your weight is significantly lower and your absolute tonnage is lower, which means your maximal tension on the muscle is lower. Your heart rate's just getting up, so you're metabolically fatiguing yourself like cardio. And if you're turning weight training into cardio, you're defeating the purpose of weight training, Uh right? So um, no, you shouldn't do that. You should keep training exactly the same, right? Which is typically going to be, I think the best approach for training during fat loss phases is going to be more of an undulated approach versus a block approach. So a block approach would be, let's say you have one block that is, um, usually it's like accumulation, um, intensification, realization, but for like a hypertrophy person or body comp, we might do two blocks of accumulation, one of intensification, which is basically like high volume hypertrophy, higher reps in the eight to 15 range. And then two blocks of that. And then one block of like you know, three to six rep range. So lower volume, heavier weights. You might go from training five to six days a week to training four days a week because you're going heavier loads, big compound lifts, trying to build strength. You have a two to three, uh, two to one ratio of hypertrophy to strength training. Um, that makes sense long-term when you're trying to build muscle. But in a fat loss phase, I mean, that takes up your whole entire fat loss phase because that's at least 12 weeks, yeah. right? So for somebody like that, you should have the full week, you should be doing majority of the training being focused on your main year-round goal, which is either going to be hypertrophy or strength. Um, and then one-third of your training in that week is going to be on the opposite. So you might do most of your session in the higher rep range, like 8 to 12, 8 to 15, because you're focused on hypertrophy. And then you have some sets that you go 
three to five reps because you're trying to build strength a little bit. It's a secondary goal. Yeah. And you do that every week throughout a fat loss phase. So you're touching on both. And that's the the most conclusive answer as far as hypertrophy research goes for periodization shows that we should probably be doing a little bit of mixture of rep ranges per week. So that would probably be the best bet. There's no reason to think that higher reps is going to burn more calories or be better for fat loss yeah. by any means. Um, was there a second part of that question or is that was it? That was it. She's wondering if she should go lighter weight, higher reps. Yeah. No, I think you should lift as heavy as you possibly can safely. That's going to push your in- intensity and effort to the, the maximum threshold, which is the goal. Totally. All right, cool. We will go on to the next question. It's, uh, it's from Leanna Pace. It says, I would like some advice on what to do. Basically, I'm wanting to grow my quads. However, after a quad day, my hamstrings are always sore and not really my quads. My hamstrings are always sore and not really my quads. I am very hamstring hamstring dominant and have been in integrating ex- exercises such as heel elevated barbell squats, leg extensions to failure, leg presses, and forward lunges, but still feel like even in the exercise, exercises, I feel my quads. That's not where any of my soreness is going. I, I know that DOMS isn't the goal or direct indicator of muscle growth, but I am still struggling to feel like I am working my quads properly if I am basically feeling so sore. What tips of, or exercises would you recommend for this kind of situation? Um, so first and foremost, I'm just going to give some like just very generic advice because what I would rather do is see the person move. You know, um, and this is part of the reason why it's actually a perfect question. Um, we haven't talked about it yet and I'll probably do like, I kind of want to do a series of podcasts on this probably. Um, but you've been seeing me do some of these tests. We're going to be shooting some videos. This is part of the reason why I want to create that, um, elite program with me, um, where I'm going to basically going to take a small amount of clients back on to work directly with me. And it's just training and nutrition. Uh, but it's the deepest deep dive that I could possibly go. Um, I mean, the assessment protocol is so ridiculous, like personality tests, HRV tests, sleep tests, movement assessment, where we're measuring your, uh, every fucking limb on your body, comparing a ratio to height, like we're doing jump tests, we're doing lunge tests, we're doing the clat test, we're doing the Thomas test. Like we're going to go really as, as I would do with like a pro athlete, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these assessments are based on what is done with pro athletes and Olympians and stuff like that. But the reason we would do this is to figure out the best exercise possible because this is where, you know, most research shows volume is the most important driver for hypertrophy. And and I agree based on the research because you can't refute that. However, it's, it's looking at averages, not individuals. And if we do a bunch of volume, like if we decide that volume is the best and I go, hey, just do more volume, she's not f- directing that volume to her quads, right? So she's going to do more and more and more volume st- central nervous system fatigue is going to go up, right? Systemically, it's going to go up. Her joints fatigue is going to go up. But the muscle fatigue on the quad, which she wants to grow, is not going up. Totally. So now we're just fucking just beating her, beating her, beating her, beating her until she can't recover anymore without any growth. So at, at some, in some ways, in some situations, exercise selection is more important for muscle growth and hypertrophy than volume is, you know? So... Because I could do half as much volume if we got her quads to do the right exercise or be stimulated the right totally. way. Um, part of the reason why this isn't offered a lot and, and why I'm creating this new thing is because, and I'm only taking a few people when I launch it. You guys will hear about it when I launch it. If you guys are interested in something like that, email me because I can put you on the wait list because we're not ready to launch it yet. But um, it takes a lot of time. Like it's a, a lot of one-on-one work to be able to do something like that. And 
what I would guess, so the back to the generic advice that I would give, my point with saying all that is like, I would be able to help you way more if I was like putting my hands on you, quote unquote, and being able to like manipulate what we're doing more and see the videos of you doing these things. Um, it could be mobility. So if you are doing heels, elevated squats and, um, leg extensions and lunges and, and glute, or I mean, sorry, quad dominant exercises, but you have really bad ankle mobility and therefore your knee can't travel very far over the toe. Therefore, you're not placing a big stretch on the quad when you go into depth with these. Um, and you're placing more stretch on the glute. The stretch is one of the most important phases of the range of motion during an exercise to create hypertrophy, mm. right? We know that because during the stretch shortening cycle of going through a full range of motion, so stretching the muscle and then shortening the muscle, the stretch is what creates the most muscle damage. It breaks down the most fibers and it's been shown to build the most muscle within that phase. Now to have complete hypertrophy, we need both the stretch and the shortening cycle. But if we're missing the stretch cycle, maybe you're not getting as much as you can out of those exercises. Yeah. And that could be due to mobility issues. Um, whether we're talking about just knee flexion, which could be because maybe your quads uh, or hip flexors are so fucking tight that you can't bend your knee fully. You can't flex the knee maximally. It could be ankle mobility because you can't get into that full range of motion from ankles. Um, uh, another thing is that the squat might be a shitty exercise for you. So, for example, if somebody is um, has really long legs, specifically femurs, they could not be doing well with squat because when you go into a squat, it's a hip dominant movement. Therefore, the only way to isolate the quads would be to elevate your heels dramatically. So she could be saying, I'm elevating my heels and she could be doing it on like a 2.5 pound plate, right? Which is like maybe an inch. Yep. If you, if anybody's watched my Instagram of me doing it on the prime uh, elevators, those things are like fucking four. It's like a half a foot. Yeah. Not literally, but like they're pretty damn big. Like the only downside of those is if I'm not wearing the right type of shoes and they're not tied super tight, my feet slide forward and my toes start to curl into the toes of my shoes because I'm literally on a hill. Yeah. But you want to get your quads fired up. Like sometimes you got to do a ridiculous heel elevation. Um, the other part about that is you can't have good heel elevation if you don't have mobility in your toes, which people don't think about. But if you can't like flex your toes or like literally curl your toes up. So if you were, let's say my toes were on the floor and then my heels were elevated, my toes would need to be able to flex to be in that position properly, right? If you don't have good movement in your toes, which a lot of people don't, then that could be holding you back, which is, I mean, that's like the last thing I would look at, but it goes that far. Um, so another thing with long legs is typically people who are long legs are very posterior dominant like you. So I'm guessing you are, if you are, then it's probably long femurs, not tibias. So your calf area, like that's your tibia bone. That's not probably very long. Your femur is, um, unilateral exercise would be better. So I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have you do a bunch of squats. I'd probably have you do heel elevated split squat. I'd have you do Bulgarian split squats, lunges, um, anything single leg, because you're probably gonna get more out of it. Your body's just going to respond better to it. Um, I would try different foot positions on the squat, different, um, uh, ankle positions too. Like on, even on leg extension, a lot of people feel the leg extension, especially on your quad sweep, the vastest lateralis on the outside or, and there's been some research on this. If you point your toes inwards, right? So you'll see me do leg extension a lot with my toes pointing each other. And it's because I'm trying to hit the outside of my quad totally. more. Um, so we could play with a lot of those positioning things. Um, for some people it makes no difference. For some people, they're mechanically not blessed and for squats, you know, they're just not squatters. They have to do those things. Um, and, and sometimes you wouldn't even think it like, so looking at me, I mean, you've seen me quite a few times. Do you think I'm a tall individual? Tall. I wouldn't categorize you tall. Not at all. Five, nine. For sure. 
pretty average. Um, would you categorize me as having long legs? Mm, no. I have above average leg length, which is weird. Interesting, yeah. Very interesting. Once I started going through some of these assessments, I was like, huh. I didn't think I had short legs. Yeah. But I didn't think I had long legs. I didn't look at myself and be like, damn, I have long so you, legs. So you measured your legs and Googled what? No, there's – there's uh, Google will probably tell you a whole – Different answer. Yeah. Uh, going through some of the certifications I've gone through, I revisited some of the textbook stuff there of like go. what shows actual like limb length of athletes and stuff. And there's basically a way where you can you can measure your leg length. And then if you're in the average, then you have to measure your tibia and fibia to determine uh, if you are more short or long because you could have average legs. Example. Yeah, exactly. So she could have average legs, but long uh, femurs, totally. which would put her in the long leg category. Or she could have long tibia, which would put her in the short uh, leg category. I just have long legs for my torso. Um, actually, no, I lie. I have long um, tibias for my torso. And then I have uh, above average wingspan, mm. which blew my mind. And it was actually funny because I had Shannon measure me. Um, and she was like, yeah, yeah, you have like monkey arms. I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, your arms hang so low. And I've never thought that about myself at all. Measured, sure enough, I'm quite over what I expected. Like there's like the average and then there's like the high range. I'm like just barely above the high range. I was like, damn. Um, If I was tall, I might be a good basketball player. Um, But I've also trained with Joe on our team. I don't know if you've seen him. Joe Ball? Yeah. Yeah. If you've seen him trap our deadlift. Yeah. His, I mean, like he barely has to bend over. Yeah. His fingertips touch his ankles standing straight. That's fucking crazy. Not literally, but like. (laughs) Jeez Louise. It's like his knuckles are dragging. Yeah. Um, he, he, He can deadlift really easily because of that um so point being is like so we can put him in a specific deadlift form that uses his mechanical advantage right people with uh longer arms are usually better with pulling than pressing for example so uh and and you know having long or short arms actually determines if you should do more or less unilateral work should you do more isolation for your shoulders or your um arms you know because of these things we can determine where you're lagging where you're not right so Point being is I think that there's a lot that we could assess to determine whether or not she's there for you specifically um, that I'm talking to. The best thing I can give you is, is saying like if you have long legs, you're probably posterior dominant. If you have average legs, then you have to measure your femur and tibia. If your femur is pretty long, you're probably glute dominant and you need more unilateral exercises. Um, and you're just going to need to do more volume on your quads and way less volume on your hamstrings and glutes. Yeah. Um, I would also add that um, – you're the perfect candidate for pre-fatigue. A lot of times we don't recommend pre-fatigue because if you go do a bunch of uh, leg extensions um, and knowing you, I would actually suggest unilateral leg extensions. So there's no compensation. You could just focus on one fucking leg squad at a time. Do that before you go squat with your heels elevated. Do that before you go single leg squat or anything like that because you need to pre-fatigue and drive blood, water, uh, inf- like essentially inflammation, but like actually drive attention to the quad itself before doing a, a squat. Whereas somebody who is has no issues with squat, I would never recommend that because they won't be able to squat as heavy. Therefore, total intensity, effort, and volume drops because they fatigue their quad before they got there. Totally. But in your case, you're not even going to be able to get the chance to stimulate and fatigue your, your quad. So you're much better off pre-fatiguing. Um, Interesting. I mean, shit, if you could borrow like a electro stimulator from your physical therapist, fucking... <laughs> Stick some electrodes on the quad, fire that bitch up, and then go squat. Yeah. You won't. But, um, yeah. So, like, my recommendation would probably be, like, the most general thing I can do is, like, try to figure out the best exercises for your limb length and then um, try to uh, pre-fatigue a little bit. I'm going to do a blog on 
probably end up doing a podcast on it too. Um, uh, how to find the best exercises for your limb length. So I'll be able to like dive into it more detail. Um, but there's so much about individualizing somebody's training, which is why I'm like, I'm really excited about the thing I'm going to launch because yeah. it's like, it's something that nobody's really doing. Um, I'll be able to do. Yeah. Be sick. That's really exciting. All right, cool. Let's uh, move on. We got a next question coming from Lee Rose fit. Uh, it says, how do you push through mentally to get closer to failure on a set? <clears throat> Man. Um, I don't have a good answer for this. To be honest with you, I think it, I ultimately think it's, you just do it. It's mm. like the first time you meditate is it's hard to meditate. It's weird to meditate. But the 10th time you meditate, it's far easier, right? The first time you go to the gym, it's difficult. The first time you public speak, it's very, very hard. The 20th time you public speak, it's easy. So you just do it. You just start. Um, once you start, everything becomes easier. And that's like, it's just success in life, right? So I think that you you just kind of got to muster up the the courage one time to do it. And once you do it, then you realize you can do it. And then it's much easier the next time. Um, obviously we don't want to go to failure all the time. Uh, a more practical piece of advice would maybe be to, uh, go to failure on something like lateral raise, something that you're like, okay, I'm not going to hurt. And now granted, like if, if you're listening to this and you're like, man, every time I do lateral raise, my shoulder clicks, don't, don't choose that exercise, (laughs) choose a curl or a hip thrust, whatever point is pick an exercise that you've never hurt yourself before. You feel amazing doing, you get great activation with like, you know how to perform properly. Comfortable. Yeah, and then take that to absolute, complete failure. And then start applying that to other exercises because you do it on the one you're most comfortable with. You know what I mean? Like, um, Get that feel. Yeah, I would recommend somebody takes a cold shower before they do an ice plunge in, a, in an ice bath. You know what I mean? Like, it's way easier. Yeah. And you have control. Turn yeah. it off. Ice bath, you don't. Like, yeah. Actually, better you can just turn it back to hot. Ice bath, you get in there, you're fucked. You're sitting in there, and then you got to climb out. Then you're shivering. I've never done it. Ice plunge? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to. I don't care. Um, I've done I, I've done cold plunges, so I don't know if it would be considered. Remember Banya, the Russian bathhouse? Nope. Um, so Banya is is literally, I think it literally means Russian bathhouse oh. in Russian. But um, they're all over. We used to go to one in Seattle every once in a while, all the gym guys. And uh, so I've been a handful of times. And they have a, they have a cold plunge there. They yeah. call it a cold plunge because there's not ice cubes in there. Uh. But I got to imagine they make it close enough to where it's giving the same effect. Totally. Um, but you do a cycle of things. So you go like from, um, lukewarm pool to like with salt in it to like regulate your temperature. Then you go to like a dry heat sauna, then like a wet sauna, yeah. then an, a cold plunge and then a hot tub. And then you go back to lukewarm salt, bath, like, and you go through it. You like recover recovery increases so much. It feels really, really good afterwards, but you also feel like high. Like it's like this weird endorphin. Like you feel like just weird afterwards. Um, so I've done a little bit of that, but I fucking hate cold plunges. Yeah. But point being, I would recommend a cold shower before that. So I think like find the like lowest barrier of entry form of going to failure, go to failure. You know, I would suggest somebody jumps off like a 20 foot cliff into a lake before they go fucking bungee dumping or skydiving, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, you got to assess somebody's fear too, obviously, but I would skydive over bungee jumping and I'm afraid of heights yeah. and that's higher, yeah. but bungee jumping Jumping off a cliff, you have nothing. In, into water. I know that, but yeah. at least you're not hitting anything when... You bungee jump? Yeah. You would rather bungee jump than jump off a cliff into water? Well, not 20 feet, but 20 feet is like... Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. 
but I don't think you can I don't relate know. them. Yeah. yeah. I don't think so. Like I would you're never just trying to get over the yeah. fear of heights is what you're saying. hundred percent. Yeah. You accumulate up to it. And yeah. I definitely don't think people jump off cliffs into water. I mean, some people maybe do as high as they bungee jump. I would hope God, not. no. Yeah. You would rip the skin off the bottom of your feet getting into the water. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. But you would completely die. I, I bungee jumped in yeah. New Zealand. If you jumped off that into water, you would, you'd be a cloud of dust. Yeah. Literally. Dog, it, it, yeah. But anyway. That, it just, I always think of Joe Dirt when he like bounces yeah. up and hits his head <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on the bridge. Um, so yeah. Accumulate up. Uh, that might be the best movie ever. One of the, I think it's one of the best comedies ever, dude. It's so good. Yeah. And I fucking hate David Spade. I do not Ooh, think he's a good actor. What? He has nothing else good. Tommy Boy's good because of Chris Farley. Yeah. I don't know anything he's else that he's actually Adam good. Sandler movies, but he's a supporter role. Exactly. So. All right. Um, but, yeah, I don't have anything else for you there. Just just accumulate up. Do it on some easy exercises and just go to failure and practice there and then move to exercises are smart. And, and no and know when failure is necessary. Like you don't, you shouldn't be going to failure on like back squats and shit like that. You know? Totally. So, yeah. All right. We move on. Next one comes from Mary Betty. It says, do you ever drink alcohol and does it destroy training and or diet progress? Yes, I do. And not all the time. It doesn't. So I think that, I would go out to say this. Most people who – I have a few thoughts on it. Most people who maintain a lean physique year-round, like who just generally stay pretty lean and look athletic and um, have like goal physiques, quote-unquote, um, they're not drinkers. I mean, it's, it's obvious. They either don't drink at all except on very rare occasions or they drink in moderation. And usually drinking in moderation in my experience, like with – when I think of like the best clients I've had, uh, as best as in like they've gotten the best results – they all drink once a week. Like they have one night a week that they have some drinks. Occasionally two, you know. Um, every once in a while I, feel, I have somebody. I feel like two days versus one day even makes a huge difference. It does, 100%. Yeah. And it also depends on the type of drinker you are. Um, so I've had a few clients um, who are like similar to Shannon, my wife. She'll, uh, she poured a glass of wine. Hopefully Sue's not listening to this. Um, her coach. <laughs> she uh, poured a glass of wine last night. It was a normal four ounce glass let's say she didn't weigh it but like it's just there maybe an ounce yeah like she drank a little bit with dinner and she was done there's no way in hell i am capable of doing she didn't that. drink the whole glass no i dumped it out when i was doing the dishes it wow. just and that's very normal she'll sometimes she'll finish it sometimes she won't yeah most of the time she doesn't she just likes to have a little bit of wine with dinner and stuff and then she's good that's really not going to do much at all yeah. you're not getting your blood alcohol levels up high enough to fuck with fat mobilization and um, for guys testosterone production or uh, for anybody muscle protein synthesis and things like that um, so it's really not a big deal as long as it fits in your calories right so in those scenarios like pour a glass of wine weigh it and track three four however many ounces you drink in your uh, macros your my fitness power whatever and if you don't finish it guess did you drink a quarter of it half of it whatever um, one glass or less is probably not going to do much if you do that a couple of times a week, two, three times a week. Um, I just find it very rare that people do that. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Um, can't or just don't? I'm not willing to. Um, both, but not even not willing to. I, like, I don't have a desire to. There you go. It's, it's pointless willing. to me. And this sound, this is, but this is where like, I can't, because like, to me, like, there's still part of me that's like, if I'm going to drink, I'm going to, I'm going to feel good. Yeah. And that's like the 20 year old version of me talking, but I also, I would say, like, have a little bit of that in my blood from my family and stuff. It's just, like, 
Yep. It's just hard for me to stop. Um, I have addictive personality. Um, and I'm not a lightweight. <laughs> but I don't, I value staying lean and physical performance in the gym and mental clarity when I get to work and stuff like that far more than getting a buzz. Therefore, I drink Saturdays. That's it. And, uh, and I do drink every single Saturday. It's just, that's just how I choose. And it was even like interesting, like me and Brad had a good conversation about this because Brad's sober. So on Saturday, he was over. We ate normal breakfast. Like he did his own thing. I did my own thing. But like the typical shit, you know, oats and egg whites, shit like that, the bodybuilders would eat. Um, and then we went to get donuts. Cause I told my guy to take him to Legendary Donuts. He's never been out here. Him, Dom, and Blakely had some donuts and enjoyed them. I didn't have a donut. He was like, how can you watch that? I was like, I just don't have a craving for them. Mm. Like, I look at it. I'm like, I'd probably feel like shit afterwards. And I don't have a sweet tooth. So it doesn't, like, trigger me, you know? Yeah. Um, but, like... I was having some wine later on that night and I was like, how do you watch this? It's like, I just don't have an appetite for it. And it's the same thing, you know? So like for me, I can sit there and go, I'm good. Like, I don't, I don't have that. You know, we went to, uh, I'm going to sound super lame now. We went to mod pizza. Cause that's where the kids want to go. I got salad. They got pizza. Yeah. And Brad again was like, how the fuck? And I was like, dude, I'm, I would rather save my calories for alcohol. And I, if I didn't, if I was sober, I would 100% save my calories for pizza. Yeah. It's just that if I did both, that's really not a good if thing were, for fat if loss. If you were sober? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I'm not an alcoholic. Oh, Brad's sober. I gotcha. I gotcha. I gotcha. So he's not going to save calories for alcohol. Yeah. I'm going to. Yeah. But like, if I was to say fuck it and have alcohol and pizza, that's where fat loss starts to be bad because drinking alcohol does stop fat mobilization. So like your body's, I always say like, it doesn't cause more fat gain unless you go into a surplus, just like anything else would. However, it does push pause on muscle growth and fat loss. So it's not good for consistent fat loss and muscle growth. But if you push pause on it for a night, big fucking deal. If that allows you to de-stress, have fun, enjoy times with people you love, and then you just push play again, start again the next day on fat loss. Great. That is not the end of the world. It's gonna you're gonna be totally fine. I drank once a week every week until my photo shoot. Literally, right up until the photo shoot. So the Saturday before the Wednesday shoot, I drank. Like it doesn't affect you if you keep it in moderation. Moderation is the hard part for people, and it's more the food that they have a problem moderating. So usually what I see is that an alcohol does lower inhibition. So inhibition is your ability to to basically have willpower. Yeah, and say no. So it lowers that. So you, people will go into it going like, I'm so disciplined right now. Like I'll be fine. And then you have like a couple shots and you're like, fuck it. I'll have some. And you eat. Well, when you eat and you drink, your calories go up, you go into a surplus. Now you're not only stopping fat loss, but you're also going into a surplus, usually with drunken munchy food, which is usually not healthy, um, good food. (laughs) It's usually highly processed, trans fat, sugar, processed sugar, stuff like that. Um, And that leads to, fat accumulation that leads to fat gain. Um, so does it stop your progress? The answer is yes and no. If you can actually be disciplined and, and, and I actually do that now, like I'm actually pretty damn good at it now. If you can do what I explained, I do, then yes, you'll be totally fine. You can keep it within your boundaries. Um, I do eat more calories on Saturdays, but it fits within my weekly caloric budget. Like I'm not going so far over that I'm going into a weekly surplus. It's still within my range. Um, but I'm also very disciplined. I can say no. And I say no throughout the day so that I can drink alcohol at night and have cheese, wine, whatever I feel like eating, which is usually cheese and wine. Um, but even that, I'm actually able to stay pretty disciplined and not overdo it. Totally. So that's the answer. There is some research that shows, this is the last thing I'll say, there's, there's some research that shows it drops performance from like an athletic perspective in the gym. 
So your training performance will suffer the next day if you drink, which is why I drink on Saturdays because I don't strength train on Sundays. Um, but I think you have to have a good amount of alcohol for it to actually make an effect. So if you drank last night and you woke up the next morning and trained, it's probably going to have a negative impact because you're going to be tired because alcohol does disturb your sleep. And it's probably going to lower muscle protein synthesis, which allows you not to recover as well. You're probably not going to build as much muscle, so on and so forth. But if I drank tonight and then I didn't train till tomorrow night, it's probably not going to have a big difference or like even tomorrow in the middle of the day. Because most of the research, um, at least some of the ones that I'm familiar with, there was like two different ones where like it showed a pretty significant decrease in performance the next day. But these dudes had like 11 shots of vodka in the study. Like, I mean, they got fucked up on like pure alcohol. Like the strongest shit you can get really is vodka. You know, just, it's literally just, when I think of pure alcohol, I think of vodka. Mm. And they literally, they were taking like, it was, I think it depended on the person's weight, but it was like between 11 to 16 shots. Wow. What the? For the study. And I'm sure the person who took 16 was probably a bigger dude. (laughs) But yeah, you give me 15 shots. No way in hell I'm training good. Yeah. You know, I don't even care if it's like an easy workout. Yeah. I can barely fucking foam roll after that. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I'd say. Totally. Well, um, let's uh, move on to the next one. It says it is from Kayla Brown. It says, if motivation comes from within, how would you inspire someone to find that? <clears throat> That's a good one. Um, real quick, can you note to put the uh, there's a we have a, a blog. So we'll put that in. The, uh, it's for alcohol and fat loss. We'll put that in the show notes for you guys if you want to look at some of the research and stuff. Um, OK, so I think that's really hard to bring out of somebody, you kind of, I think the only way you can bring out intrinsic or internal motivation is by, in my opinion, two things. One, leading by example. So if you are a highly motivated person and you are showing up as that highly motivated person in front of the same person that you're trying to bring that out in over and over and over again, hopefully at some point they ask you, what motivates you? Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that might rub off. Um, I mean, if you want to take it as far as like do a podcast with them, you hear me say why I'm motivated so fucking often. That would be the easiest way to get it rubbed off on you if you yeah. need to, you know what I mean? Talk to the person about it constantly. But most people who are searching for intrinsic motivation, they don't ask and they also don't end up just podcasting with somebody all the time. Um, but just be, I mean, just show up in front of them that way. And I think it'll rub off on them. Um, it's, it's often why like I I had, I didn't share on my story. I should have, but one of my clients sent me like this huge thing in their update. And it basically was talking about the biggest benefits they've gotten from coaching with me so far. And it's been about a year and it had nothing to do with fat loss or muscle growth. And this dude has seen a crazy transformation. He's lost a ton of weight, totally recomped, looks dramatically different. It was all around the, the, Basically, the influence I've had on him through sheer conversation week to week, just literally being able to have deep conversations with somebody and my responses to that and my feedback to his thoughts and like my book recommendations, things like that, were shifting the way his brain operated. And so I think, I think when you can be around somebody like that, it helps. So for the, the person asking this question who's trying to bring it out in other people, if you just keep showing up as that person around them over and over and over again, I think it's only a matter of time before it starts to rub off or they start asking questions or they start wanting to read what you're reading or listen to what you're listening to or whatever it may be. Um, So the first way to bring out intrinsic motivation in somebody is purely to focus on 
showing up as a leader, showing up as a highly motivated individual, showing up as an ambition person, uh, ambitious person, and showing up as an action taker. When you consistently do those things in front of them, I think it'll rub off. The second way is to ask questions. If you are asking them the right questions over and over and over and over again, I think it's only a matter of time before they find what their intrinsic motivation is. Um, you can't tell them what their internal drive is. You can't tell them what their why is. You can't tell them what motivates them. You can't tell them why they should accomplish goals. But if you ask them, why do you want that goal? What motivates you? What are your thoughts and ambitions? And what do you seek to take action on? What are your fears? Why are those your fears? What gives you anxiety? A lot of those things like fears and anxieties and, and things like that are actually things you're really excited about. So a lot of times when people start poking down the, the, the path of anxiety, um, they'll find the path to excitement and the path to excitement is success, right? The things that we are most anxious about are usually the things that we care about the most. We don't want to fuck them up. We care so much about them that we get anxiety because we fear failure. Yeah. So if you can find out what they fear, you can ask them questions about their why, ask them questions about their goals, things like that. I think they will find it, right? That's why therapy is so useful. They just sit there and ask you questions until you find the answers. Yeah. And you leave figuring shit out on your own. So I think that's it. Feeling that on your back. Yeah. yeah. Show up as the person and, and ask the right questions. Cool, cool. All right. We will move on here. We got one more coming from Megan Kinney. It's kind of going back to the last question with alcohol, but it says, I am saving carbs and half of my daily calories for dinner time. Would you say this is good or bad? On occasion, good. It practices flexible dieting well. On a regular basis, bad. Um, specifically, if it promotes disordered eating. And mind you, eating disorder and disordered eating are two different things. Disordered eating is restricting yourself all day so you can have a huge meal at night and binge and doing that on a regular basis. That can be considered disordered eating. Um, disordered eating to a more specific degree and a more realistic perspective would be doing cardio or adding steps because you feel bloated. Like you ate rice today and maybe it's retaining water. You had too much salt, none of which is going to cause you to gain fat, but you feel bloated. You're like, I need to go on a walk. I need to hit the treadmill. That's disordered eating, right? That's a disordered relationship with food, body image and, and exercise. Um, my biggest issue with doing what you're doing is that it can often lead to that. Yeah. Right. So I think that if you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, on occasion, that's, I mean, that's what I said I did with rat, you know, like I had no whole eggs in my egg whites. Um, I didn't eat the donut. I had a protein bar and, and a muscle milk instead. Like I was like, I ate less meals that day. I was like eating higher protein, more fiber, like things that fill me up. I was specifically restricting calories all day so that I could afford more calories at night so that I could have the, the, the platter of food that we we're going to have some drinks and stuff like that. That's doing the exact same thing she's doing, but I do it once a week. So I think that if you can do that and it doesn't fuck with your mindset, and I'm also still moderate because I know that what I'm consuming at night is higher, it's, it's more dense in calories, so it's not like an all-out binge, it's just being able to play with more of my calories at night, um, much of which I'm drinking. Um, I don't find that to be, I think that's flexible dieting. Um, and for example, like Shannon's going to be gone this weekend, so we're not going to do our normal thing. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be with Blakely all day. I'm going to eat like my normal fucking self. I'm going to eat multiple meals throughout the day because I'm not saving up calories to drink alcohol and eat cheese with Blakely. She's four. So it's like I do it when it's necessary, right? So um, if I'm traveling, I'll do the same thing because I'm traveling. I'm on a plane. I don't need to eat as much. Um, I'd rather save calories if I'm going out to dinner with friends, wherever I'm flying to. So I think there's times to do it. Um, 
But if you're doing it every single day, I think it can become an issue. Now, you are doing a modified protein sparing fast style of doing it, which means that you're having protein throughout the day by having the shakes and things like that, which is good because you're at least still stimulating muscle protein synthesis. It's good to have your total protein intake met by multiple three to five servings throughout the day evenly spread. Um, so like if somebody was like from a on paper calories perspective, is this an issue? I would say technically not. I don't think you're going to perform your best or recover your best. Like I think you get better performance, better gains, probably better digestion. I think long-term better results because I think the 1% kind of stacks up over time. Yeah. If you had three to five full meals throughout the day evenly spread versus just protein and then a bunch of calories at night. However, if that allows you to adhere better, then I can't say it's the incorrect thing, especially if it's not messing with your mind. Um, if if it turns into restricting and binging, that's a totally different story. Um, so the answer is yes and no. It's kind of dependent on the situation. Totally. All right, guys, that is the last question for this Q&A today. Is there any last mo- uh, announcements that you'd like to make? A couple quick shout-outs. Uh, first and foremost, firstform.com slash method. If you guys haven't tried their new energy drinks, I highly suggest it. It is uh, a normal energy drink, which I was so happy they finally made because you guys know I'm addicted to energy drinks. But they also have actual nootropics and vitamins and minerals and things in it like, you know, the rock stars and things I usually drink. I mean, it's just caffeine and artificial sweeteners, which is great. I love them. Don't get me wrong. But if you can throw some brain power in there too, money. So uh, firstform.com slash tailored coaching method. You can go check those out. They also have these new protein muffins. I don't know if you've seen those. Yep. Really good. Um, go check all that out, guys. That is our link. You will get free shipping, the best service in the world. And it's the best supplement company, in my opinion, ever. Uh, you can also head to giantlifting.com and use the, the coupon code TCM5. You can just click the link in the description. It's our personal link. You can save 5% to help you with shipping. If you're in Washington State, you can just go pick it up. You don't have to pay for shipping, uh, which saves you a lot. Uh, but they have the best equipment that I have run into, period. And their prices are better than anybody. Um, you know, and I'm not going to name names, but there's some out there that have good prices, but it's for a reason. Their shit sucks. Um, <laughs> but Giants is like the real deal. We bang them around. We throw them around. Um, and I put them to the test, and they are high quality. So get all your gym equipment there. Last but not least, tailoredcoachmed.com slash online-coaching if we can help you personally. All right, guys. That's all we got for you. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>